Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Some people will say we're packing the court. We're not packing it. We're unpacking it. Oh. Senator McConnell and the Republicans <laughs> packed the court over the last couple of years, as Senator uh, uh, Markey outlined. So this is a, a, a reaction to that. It is now clear that politicians are willing to say anything, no matter how dishonest or damaging it might be. The era of responsibility has ended. Hey, la, hey, la. Chuck off your clothes and start slitting throats. That was Gerald Nadler. Not a lot of people are coming out for packing the Supreme Court. But I'm, so, I'm sorry, you seem to have missed the clip. They are unpacking the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah, as we continue to Our manipulate mistake. language. And, you know, it's been working for uh, Democrats especially pretty well on this change in terms thing. Uh, what is infrastructure and all that sort of stuff? What is a cut? I like that's a, that's always been my favorite one. If you cut the the uh, the percentage of increase, it's called a cut, which right, is just exactly. hilarious. You want to hear my favorite spending when you t- cut taxes? Yeah. If you let people keep more of their money, they call it spending in the tax code. Because they've given up getting money. That's spending. But you had three numbnuts come to a microphone yesterday and talk about packing the Supreme Court or unpacking it and how it's a good idea. Nancy Pelosi announced right as he's walking to the microphone, I'm not going to put that bill on the floor. So that's pretty big deal. On the yeah, other my hand, understanding of it, it was like just before they went to the microphone, preemptively undermining them, thank God. Well, the main thing, I think, was probably for the news cycle. She wanted her statement to be part of that news story when anybody was doing it. Um, pretty savvy. Yeah, well, yeah, and, yeah. and that's something she definitely is. Uh, but it's not... Uh, he's the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. That's a Big deal. You know who was also a chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee a hundred years ago? President Joe Biden, who at that time thought packing the court was terrible. And uh, so I have a lot of other Supreme Court justices, left and right, and and polling nationwide, it doesn't poll very well. So there aren't that many people that are into it. But as we've been you know, making the point over and over, it's about moving the Overton window. It's about or widening it. It is now part of the conversation. Right. Something that was thought unthinkable. Since FDR tried it and his own party said, whoa, 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 no way. We all grew up, we were taught in school that court packing was way too far. It was a terrible idea. FDR got way over his skis, too power hungry, and and the United States, the people shot him down and said, too much. So that's what's been taught for decades and decades and decades. But now you have serious politicians, well, serious a-holes in my opinion, but serious politicians... (laughs) Uh, saying, yes, we should do this. Let, let's let them build their case a little bit here. Go ahead with uh, 55. And I'm disappointed to say that too many Americans question the court's legitimacy. The consequence yeah, why do they is do that, that the rights of all Americans, but especially uh, people of color, women, and our immigrant communities are at risk. We have no, a stilted, illegitimate 6-3 conservative majority on the court that has caused this crisis of confidence in our country. As Joe, so point, Joe pointed ahead. out yesterday, it was a left-leaning court for decades, and the whole Warren court and what came out of it is something that people have discussed and talked about since the 60s and early 70s. 
and yeah, for generations the court was way left and um that that was apparently okay but when it leans right that's a travesty and doesn't represent people of color or something sure and i love how marky just absolutely he leads with uh, people are increasingly questioning the legitimacy of the supreme court so we need to do something about it and then he just utters a string of inaccurate lying slanders against the court yeah i wonder why they're questioning the legitimacy you, you jackass but uh, let's let's run through a handful of clips of people uh, in recent years speaking to this topic. How about the lefty but well-respected RBG in 57? I have heard that there are some people on the Democratic side who would like to increase the number of judges. If anything would make the court appear partisan, it would be that one side saying, when we're in power, we're going to enlarge the number. By the way, most of the people I respect who analyze the court, who I I respect because I think they're fair about this sort of thing, believe it's either 333 now as a court or possibly uh, 431. Does that add add up right? No, 432. Um, The idea of 333 being you got three pretty consistent left, pretty consistent right, and then three in the middle, you don't know where they're going to go. Uh-huh. And then the other people that I respect say, eh, it, it's probably more um, four, three, two, uh, where you've got four conservative votes you can count on, three liberal votes you can count on, and then two in the middle. But so, but even if that's the case, it barely leans right. It's not. It's not some crazy anything conservative you can count on going through. It's not even close to that. Right, right. But fear sells, as we were discussing last hour, and fear also gets uh, campaign donations. You have to state everything as extremely as you can and portray the court as illegitimate, out-of-control fascist. But continuing on with the uh, series of clips I wanted to play you, give us 58, Joe Biden, two years ago. I would not get into court packing. We, we had three justices. Next time around, we lose control. They had three justices. We began to lose any credibility for the court has at all. Joe Biden back when he was the head of the Senate Judiciary Committee. It was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make. He's talking about FDR. Remember, that's what he used to sound like. I think he was like 50 then. Um, (laughs) That's what he used to sound like, kind of a fast-talking, had-his-wits-together guy. Yeah, the, the, the losing credibility thing is huge. The Supreme Court's the only thing left where we mostly feel like they make a decision and that's, you know, okay. I accept that. I hate it, but I, um, but right. That's our system. We have to live with you pack it and then that's over. Now it's just the same. It'll have approval ratings in the, in the well below 50. Um, and it's just another political arm. Yeah. Some people have put it, it'll be a third house of a legislature. Essentially, it'll just be another legislature. Uh, Jonathan Turley also speaking uh, eloquently, as usual, on this topic. Uh, Sean, bring us clip 60, would you? Well, first of all, you know, the question about the size of the court has been debated for years. Many of us have talked about a larger court, but this is not reforming. This is packing. When you say that you're just going to dump four new members onto the court, which just happens to give liberals a, a working and stable majority, that's called packing. It's raw. It's not subtle. It is treating the Supreme Court like it's a glorified FCC with life tenure, that you're just adding members essentially because of their alliance with your agenda. 
And as guys in an industry that's overseen by the FCC, trust us, you don't want that. I don't know what the right number to have for the Supreme Court is. I don't know what the best number would be. Maybe you'd be better, better off with 11 or 13, but you'd have to phase it in somehow fairly over time. And in a way that all American people thought, well, that's pretty fair. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Maybe there people were making the argument that, well, uh, Nadler's argument was we have 13 district courts, but only nine justices. That doesn't make any sense. Why, why, why would you have to have the same number? I'm not sure how those tie together. No, it's a canard. It's a false comparison. Or the or argument that tie in. Or the argument matter. that the population is so much greater than the United States than it used to be. Why do you need more justices then? That doesn't make any sense to me either. You know, I could make the argument that they're kind of angling to make it yet another legislature, because that's what that suggests. But the truth is they just want more liberals on the court. So all of these uh, creative excuses or explanations are just bunk. I'm pretty pretty open to the idea of some sort of term limit, long-term limit. Um, I don't hate that idea. I'd be willing to discuss it, sure. Another reform idea that people have thrown around is sort of a rotation, because you've got your high-level justices, you know, on those uh, those federal courts, and you rotate some in and out. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the schedule would be, but that might be a, a more fair way to do it. I have no idea. Yeah, you know, that's, that's again, that's worthy of discussion. That's not packing the court. That's uh, sure uh, an experiment. Uh, one more clip from John Turley, because I think he's so good. Uh, clip 61. I have a 60 and a 62. That's unfortunate. Do you have uh, something uh, about the age of rage, extreme voices? The justices like Ginsburg and Justice Breyer, both very liberal, uh, both spoke out against this. The public is overwhelmingly opposed to this. What's driving this is the most extreme voices in our politics. And when Justice Breyer recently said, don't do this, that this will really damage the court, he was attacked. Billboards called on his retirement, told him that his legacy was in danger because those voices of reason no longer resonate in our age of rage. You know, it, it, you have to be a berserker today. You've got to be someone who's willing to lay waste to any institution or tradition on the way of to final victory. I, I hate thought to, that was well put. You hate to be a berserker. No, people love being berserkers. It's the only thing they know. <laughs> Berserker! For those of you who like the movie Clerks. I do. Um, <laughs> yes. I'd sing you another line from it, but there aren't any that are arable. <laughs> I, I, I get so tired of all this stuff. But do you remember when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and supposedly among her dying things she said was, you know, they need to fill the spot before the end of the term or something. And then the argument was, we're not going to honor a woman's dying wish. But now this belief that she has that we shouldn't add Supreme Court justices, apparently that is not a dying woman's wish. I, I know. <laughs> you cannot be cynical <laughs> no, you enough about politics. At some point, I want to A-B for you. That's a give you one, then the other. Um, Nancy Pelosi's uh, public statement when Donald J. Trump said, I want to get the guys out of uh, Afghanistan. And then her current one, now that Joe Biden has said the same thing. It is hilarious. France has changed the age of consent. Wait till you hear what it was. Boy, people have different ideas of things in different parts of the world. There's no doubt about that. We will talk to Lan Hee Chen a little bit later this hour. Um, He is a fan favorite. And uh, super smart in politics. Maybe we'll ask him a little bit about the court, among other things. I know we had another hot topic we are going to ask him about. What was it?
Not immigration. Mm, he's kind of a domestic yeah. policy guy. Probably not Russia, <laughs> China. <laughs> Highways, infrastructure. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> Nothing leaps to mind. We'll come up with it. Uh, or if you got a question for him, our text line is 415-295-KFTC. Not much coming out on this mass shooting in Indianapolis. I mean, less than normal. Yeah. I don't know why. Uh, you have any guess? My, um, just there's no energy for it. Angry sicko decides to hurt people. Yeah, we know. Well, okay, I don't buy that one. I, I, think I don't it think ha- that's holding back the press. Late at night in a not that public space limits the amount of viral videos there are to share of it. Could be. Yeah, it was the, the FedEx facility at the Indianapolis airport. Whatever reason we're not hearing as much about this one as we normally do is sad, I guarantee you. it's a Maybe a, the shooter wasn't white. Yeah, I don't know. That could be. Uh, anyway, we'll tell you about that also. The Armstrong and Getty Show. And finally, a story from Australia, where the toilets flush on the left side of the streets, and where a recent mix-up over an Uber all worked out okay. A tipsy group of young people managed to get a lift with former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd after mistaking his car for an Uber. Mr Rudd had just dropped his daughter at a Noosa restaurant when the group piled into his car. He didn't let on who he was but agreed to give them a lift anyway. Halfway through the journey they discovered their driver was actually the former Prime Minister. Oh, guys, what a fun kidnapping story. Here's my alternate theory, though. (laughs) This ex-Prime Minister... I think actually is an Uber driver and just finally got recognized for the first time. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) You just got in the wrong car. Of course, I'm not your real Uber driver. Things are going very well for me. (laughs) No worries, mate. None at all. Um, Lon he some ch- fine former Aussie PM joking. Lon he Chen coming up in a little bit. We'll have some questions for him. Um, just got a hit with the headline just because it's out there that uh, there was a mass shooting overnight. Another one, eight dead at a FedEx facility in Indianapolis. I'm pretty interested as a guy who follows the media for a living why there's so little coverage about this. Doesn't fit neatly into any particular narrative, well, I would guess. How would it not? I mean, if you're in the anti-gun, the Second Amendment's got a go crowd, how are you not seizing upon this? I mean, it's stunning to me. I'm pro-gun and think we ought to have the right to have one, but it's stunning to me how many we've had in a short period of time. Yeah, I did see uh, Biden's about to announce a slate of uh, gun law proposals, I guess. But. So you got these two drunk dudes that somehow became convinced that you could uh, improve the size of your manhood. Oh, boy, this is going to end badly. <laughs> oh, golly. <laughs> Praise yourselves. Well, they watched a YouTube video okay. that offered tips on how you could become a, a bigger man, if you know what I'm saying. If they were lying, they wouldn't have put it up on the Internet. Exactly. It wouldn't be on YouTube if it weren't true. If you want to be a bigger man, maybe uh, forgive. Maybe listen more <laughs> than you talk. Uh, in this YouTube video, it said, inject yourself with anti-hematoma cream. Sounds good so far. I don't know. Where ready? You, I don't know where you get anti-hematoma cream or what it is. But anyway, you, I'm not injecting anything. And I don't care if it works great. 
Baby. I am not injecting myself there. If the words inject yourself are anywhere in the directions, I'm out. They didn't actually inject themselves. They injected each other, which is interesting, (laughs) these two dudes. (laughs) Now that's a friend. They're pretty pretty drunk as part of the story. Oh, gosh. But I'm not sure that plays a role. I think these idiots would have done it anyway. It might have helped you, you know, steady your hands and take the pain. Anyway, it didn't work very well. Um, <laughs> things got very, uh, very huge and very pain, painful. Oh, boy. And they had to go to the hospital the next morning. Uh, both men complained it hurt when the medics touched them there. And this is the part I like. And gruesome pictures published in a medical journal showed the extent of their swelling. Oh, oh boy. Is that a link? Why don't you take a look at that? Try to avoid ending up in medical journals. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, my god! After getting drunk. <laughs> well, I got so drunk, I ended up in a medical journal. Wow. <laughs> That's drunk. Yeah, I saw this video on YouTube the other day about how you could get a bigger unit. This is a hematoma cream. <laughs> I happen to have a couple of tubes of it. It doesn't say how big things got. I wish they would give us an idea. Mm. Just because I'm not going to watch the picture. Look at the... I'm not going to look at the pictures, so the only way I'd find out if you told me in print, because I'm not looking at the pictures. Well, gosh, the uh, conversation's about to take a turn toward the sophisticated, <laughs> at least compared to that, as we're going to chat with Lan He Chen, our political consultant, about what's going on in this great country. Don't miss it. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I have a number of thoughts swimming in my slow-moving mind, Mm. trying to coalesce them into a theme. Four major polls have come out in the last 24 hours, all with pretty high approval ratings for Joe Biden, the highest being at 59. He's somewhere in the low to mid-50s, it would seem, if you average out these polls. His uh, how-do-you-like-him-personally ratings are even higher than that, similar to the way Barack Obama was. Barack Obama would 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 poll really well, even if people didn't like some of his policies. You know, if a policy would, would do poorly in a poll, his personal rating would still be pretty high. People just liked him, um, uh, certainly a majority. Um, and then uh, Kevin McCarthy came out yesterday. He's the leader of the House for the Republicans, the minority party, and said he has not talked with Joe Biden since Joe Biden got inaugurated. Mitch McConnell said something similar a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if that's changed. So you got the 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 Republican leaders of the House and the Senate have not talked with the president in three months. Since that seems he's been insane to me. And I thought that was weird at the time until I heard it pointed out from a number of people that, you know, maybe they have and they kept it a secret. That's its own interesting story in that they both sides would get killed by their base. The, the the lefties would hate it if they found out Biden was talking with McConnell or McCarthy. And the and the, the hardcore right would hate it if McCarthy and McConnell were talking to Joe Biden. How far how dare you even dignify his position? Well, I'm not sure I can buy that. I mean that's just maybe a child would think that, but that's the way our government works. Well maybe we should talk to somebody super smart about that, whether or not that uh, why that is. Is that where we are now? Where you can't even be seen talking with the president as the leader of the House or the Senate on the other point in the other party. 
Is that so what's, damaging? Is that what's going on? Let's talk to Lan He Chen, David and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution and the Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University and a regular contributor at CNN Opinion. Lan He, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me again. Well, congratulations on being super smart, as declared by Jack. Well, <laughs> well I, I got a buddy who listens in Salt Lake City all the time, and he, uh, he was raving about you from last week. He really enjoys your segment, and uh, yeah. Because you're super smart. Well, I appreciate that. I I, I appreciate that. And uh, you know, every <laughs> once in a while, every 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 once in a while, I sort of take that as a compliment. Every once in a while, I sort of think, yeah, I don't know, are people really trying to say that, or really trying to say that? Is it is it a compliment or a backhanded compliment? Oh, come on, now. this is a straight up compliment. <laughs> so, what do you think of Jack's analysis of why the president hasn't spoken to the two ranking Republicans in the uh, legislature? Well, no, look, I think a lot of that makes sense. Uh, we are in a time and a place when uh, our politics are very polarized. And, you know, people ex- expect political purity. And if you are seen sort of consorting with the enemy or consorting with the other side, uh, it can be held against you. Now, I-, I also think it's the case that there probably are conversations going on at the staff level on a, on a regular basis, you know, even though the actual political principles haven't spoken I do think that there are things going on. I mean, there has to be for the machinery of government to keep going. But the image of one leader from one party talking to a leader from another party in a very public way, or even, by the way, if it was a private conversation and got leaked, I I can understand how in this political environment you would see both sides not necessarily wanting to have that as 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 something that could come out in public. Have you read any of the John Boehner book? I've been reading it, and I don't usually read those kind of things because I find them uh, boring most of the time. This one's pretty damned interesting. You know, I have not read it. I've only read the excerpts of it, including the the uh, you know little asides he has about Ted Cruz. Uh, but I, I haven't. You know, John Boehner is such a colorful guy. I am sure there are so many entertaining stories in that book. Yeah. So perhaps at some point I will. But it just it was on my mind because he he talks about working with Barack Obama, and there he was, Speaker of the House for the Republicans, and how much he had to work with Barack Obama. And I don't know. I just I don't I don't know if we can do that now. If, if anybody anybody works with anybody. Um, uh, Boehner does mention, uh, early in his book about how good he thinks Nancy Pelosi is at her job, uh, and, 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 and how smart Mitch McConnell is and all that. But man, if people aren't talking to each other, God, I just, I don't know how we get anything done. Well, it's just, it's absurd. I mean, I just, I can't even contemplate people who think like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just goes to if you go over the years and you see how many, let, let's just take Republicans, for example, how many Republicans have gotten into trouble for, uh, you know, working with Democrats or the perception being that they're rhinos, you know, Republicans in name only because they have a conversation with the other side. Um, you know, that that point of view is is relatively common, I would say, um, you know, and I, I see it all the time. The difficult part of that, of course, is that really to get anything done, you kind of have to have those conversations. And there are a whole host of issues that I don't think are particularly ideological. Unfortunately, they do get turned into sort of ideological partisan issues by by one side or another. I I would say, for example, with infrastructure, what's happened now is because the Biden administration has put forward a plan that's essentially bastardized the definition of infrastructure. It's, It's made it more political. Right. I mean, if we were just talking about roads and bridges and airports, I think that's a 90 10 issue. You know, I think 90 percent of Americans, regardless of party, say, yeah, let's do what we can to improve our roads and improve our bridges and do all that stuff. Uh, But the minute you start including things like, 
hey, you know, you, you can't necessarily choose whether to join a union or, hey, we want to have a massive expansion of, uh, of Medicaid or, hey, we want to, you know, put all these other things into the bill. Then it starts to get the issue gets more polarized and you can understand why then it's harder for the two sides to get together. So I think some of that dynamic, unfortunately, is endemic to our politics today. Lonnie Chen of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University on the line. So I guess we talked about this a fair amount, but I'd love to hear your take on this. Given the unbelievable logistical and humanitarian crisis on the border right now, why is there not a a huge cry on both sides to get together and fix the immigration system? Oh, my goodness. Immigration is quite possibly the most polarized issue out there. I mean, we have seen over the years... So many efforts, you know, amongst people to try and get together and figure out, hey, can we do this little piece or can we solve that piece of it? And repeatedly over and over and over again, it just hasn't happened. Uh, And there are things that have become so polarized. I mean, I'll give you guys one example. The concept of border security. Okay, This, this should be there should be very little debate in my mind about the fact that we need to have a secure southern border. We need to do what we can to put in whether it's physical barriers, technological barriers, funding the U.S. Border Patrol, making sure that we're doing everything we need to do to have a secure southern border, that has somehow become a really, really controversial issue. And I I, I cannot for the life of me understand why. You know, and in the same way as, hey, look, I think we want to have an immigration system that allows people who are able to contribute to the United States, to our economy, to to the fabric of our country, we want to welcome people in and have a rational immigration system. That's, you know, something that I think, again, if, if you polled Americans, I would say the broad majority want both. But somehow we cannot get together and get things done. It's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, well, back to the Boehner book briefly. Um, there are uh, a number of interesting segments in there, including uh, where he tells about a, a, a representative from Alaska putting a knife to his throat, he claims, in the House floor. But... Uh, whether or not that happened or not. But at, at one point, Boehner talks about Michelle Bachman coming to him. She was a representative from Minnesota who ran for president for a cup of coffee. And uh, she wants to get on some committee. And like she's brand new. And he says, no, I'm not going to put you on there. And she says, OK, well, I guess I'm going to have to go to, you know, to Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and go on all those shows and say that you won't let me be on there. And Boehner says in his book, she thought she had all the power and I'm the Speaker of the House. Turns out she was right, is basically what Boehner, yeah. Boehner says, and and he hadn't realized that things had changed that way. Obviously, if that's the dynamic on both sides, well, how how are you ever going to get anywhere? Well, right, and and that's the thing. I mean, about social media and about just the way we consume media now. Everybody consumes the media that they agree with, right? And if you have a presence on those media outlets, you're incredibly powerful. In some ways, much more powerful than whatever formal title or position someone else has. And I think Boehner probably realized that as he went on. You know, I think others, uh, you know, realize that as they go on, that formal position, formal place in the Congress. It's not like it was in the 1960s and the 70s and, and even the 80s when the Speaker of the House had a tremendous amount of power. Now it's more like wrangling cats. And, and any one of those cats can decide to go off and, you know, give an interview on Fox News that mm-hmm. can blow you up at any given time. So it's a tough dynamic out there to be sure. Wow. 
Lonnie Chan of the Hoover Institution, Stanford. You know, we're running a little late, but I've got to ask you this. The uh, this, the court packing uh, discussion that's going on right now, you actually had a couple of just America's most despicable legislators, my words, not yours, uh, trotting out the idea of packing the Supreme Court. We were talking earlier, Lonnie, about the idea of you just go ahead and state these crazy ideas and and you you ask for a vote and you put them in front of a committee knowing that they will fail miserably but knowing now it's part of the national discussion is there anything conservatives can do um to to counter that i mean because the temptation is to say oh that'll never pass it'll never get through and not pay attention to it i think we need to be yelling about it i don't what do you think yeah, I mean, look, this is a serious problem. The The implication of what the folks who want to pack the court are doing is that because they can't have their way, because they can't have the ideological composition of the court they want, they want to change the fundamental nature of the institution. And, you know, it's a tough argument to carry, but I do think you're right. Conservatives have to articulate why the rule of law is important, why the current composition of the court is important, and why it is that this is this is about elections mattering, right? I mean, they can complain all they want about President Trump having put, you know, several Supreme Court justices on the court. The reality is elections have consequences. Now Biden's going to have his opportunity. This is how American politics work. This is not a, you know, you, you, you cry over spilled milk and you turn around and go home and you decide you're going to rage against the system. That's essentially what we have for those who want to change the composition of the court. So I think it is important for those who believe, hey, look, you know, packing the court's not the right idea to say that very loudly and to make it very clear why that's a problem. Lon Chen, David and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution, Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University. Lon great to talk to you. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. I'm looking at some of the polls from Gallup. You know, he was talking about uh, how, how people feel about it, and he thinks most people would be in agreement on strengthening uh, security at the border. I'm looking at this uh-huh. from Gallup. Please tell me whether you strongly favor, favor, oppose, or strongly oppose each of the following proposals. Hiring significantly more Border Patrol agents. And this is from uh, last two, I guess it's two years ago now, 2019. I like that question because it's it's very practical as Hi- opposed to fuzzy ideological. Hiring significantly more Border, border Patrol agents. Not just more, but significantly more. Mm-hmm. 34% strongly favor, 41% favor. So you're at 72% favor or strongly favor that. Wow. You wouldn't get that from watching the news, would you? But no, absolutely not. Build bridges, not walls. Yeah, we're gonna bring, we're gonna build walls and then we're gonna hire guys to guard them. You says 72% of America. You'd think with a 70% issue, you could get something done, but I think people are misled by Twitter. Politicians are. And people are. People are misled by Twitter and cable news and talk radio and everything else into uh, not knowing what America really thinks about things. I would agree. I want to hear more of those poll numbers if we can uh, do that. you're willing. We can Great. do that, among other things, on the way. Armstrong and Getty. major sanctions against Russia for cyber attacks and election interference. Yeah, this is all in response to Russia's repeated hacking. Today, Biden told Americans, rest assured, when you log on to Netscape, 
Check your AOL account, Jack. It'll be secure. Um, those sanctions were really not that tough. Uh, what sanctions? Was, the headlines said they were tough and m- widespread. Most reporters said they were tough. You know who didn't say they were tough was well, one uh, on Navalny, the opposition leader who's in prison, who was poisoned and all beaten and all kinds of stuff. He he doesn't think they were tough, but neither does uh, Jonathan Swan and Axios. We'll have to talk about that in hour three. Okay. I think that's an interesting discussion right there. Wow, you're gonna set me straight. I've been I, I've been misled. <laughs> Uh, I was going through some of the Gallup numbers just because we were talking about it. And um, it's tough to look at immigration numbers and take them seriously during the Trump era. Man, there might not be any polls that are relevant anymore. Which polls? Because all of them. They're, they're, okay. They're also okay. clouded by the Trump era. And it all became just a, what, what did Trump think about this? Then I either agree with it or don't, based sure. on that, period. Which answer will indicate which tribe I'm in, whether yeah. I believe it or not? Yeah, so any any polls that are between, like, well, f- after 2015, I'm not sure how long it'll take before they get back to normal uh, at all. Um, but anyway, let me just jump with this one, because I found it was maybe the most interesting, and it's kind of a separate subject almost, but uh, which of the following statements comes closer to your view? Immigrants mostly take jobs that American workers want, or immigrants mostly take low-paying jobs Americans don't want. It's not even close. Seventy-two percent of people say immigrants mostly take people jobs take jobs people don't want. Okay, and I just think it's fascinating that that's even a category <laughs> that that's even a thing. How did that ever even become a thing in the world? And who cares? The idea that there are jobs you don't want. Do you need to feed yourself? Do you have a job currently? Well, then I suggest you do that one. No way. No way. We have decided. And, you know, it's interesting that from the left, you're constantly hearing all the stuff about racism, often when it has nothing to do with racism. But the idea that if there are Americans of all colors, to be fair, um, who just would rather get government money than do a job, we will grant them that generosity and import some nice brown people to do that stinking job what an odd system i'd say it it smacks of saudi arabia and then you know japan did that to, to some extent for a while but um it's just crazy you have to twist yourself in knots to claim it's progressive right um right. and as you pointed out every business in america has a help wanted sign up and they can't find anybody I got a couple of buddies who are hardworking men, um, uh, uh, who have re- you know, responded to these conversations with, like when you hear, uh, economic news and, uh, this percentage of Americans stopped looking for work. And a buddy of mine said, what, how do you stop looking for work? Whenever I needed a job, I had to just keep looking until I found one. Right. Um, the idea that I'd stop looking for work. And, and then also the, just, just the, the, the entire concept of Amer- uh, jobs that Americans don't want. It's confusing to some people of the working class. I think my first five jobs were that. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody really wants to do this. It's just I need money. It's the only way I can pay rent, so I'm doing this. Nobody, nobody, yeah, the first five jobs, it's funny, I was having this conversation with my son yesterday, but um, he asked if I ever worked at a restaurant, and I never worked uh, where I had to deal with the public that much. I worked in feedlots, I've stacked boxes, I've cleaned bathrooms, I've done that sort of stuff. That would explain your glowering demeanor. But, but man, it was a long time before I had any job that was a job that anybody aspired to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know it. 
I know it. Um, yeah, I just, oh, I the, found the, the, it the, so the, fulfilling the, to unload trucks and then cart the boxes into a warehouse. Oh, good times. The fact that that's a category is just interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is interesting. Um, oh, anyway. and I, by the way, I got to throw this out. So the actually, the buddy I was mentioning, um, one of them, uh, his name is Steven, and it really bothered him that a couple of weeks ago he texted when we were on the topic of doing push-ups. Mm-hmm. And uh, a study had come out and it said that if you can do 11 push-ups, your chance of uh, your heart going bad on you greatly decreases from if you can do 10 push-ups in a row. That one extra push-up makes a huge difference, according to that study. I called bunk, but go on. Uh, yeah. Regardless, anyway, he had texted that he sa- he texted that I, I did 75 push-ups this morning. And uh, I mentioned that on the air, but didn't say his name. And he said, what? You say my name all the time when I was the guy that ate 17 pancakes in a row in front of your kids. <laughs> oh, sure, Stephen can eat 17 pancakes. But when I lose 60 pounds and do 75 push-ups, I'm just a guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Which is pretty funny. Full credit, Stephen. Way to knock out those push-ups. You are a stud. <laughs> 75 no is a lot. That's a lot of push-ups. Oh, heck yeah. You're uh, you're a hard man. We also got an email back then when there was that discussion about a guy who does many, many push-ups. He runs, blah, 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 and he had to have uh, three stints put in because he, just his body chemistry is wrong. He's got the genetic predisposition to heart disease. So mm-hmm. You can knock out as many push-ups as you want if you got that going on. But. Oh, yeah. One of the healthiest people I've ever known in my life dropped dead, slumped over his steering wheel after a bike ride when he was 50 oh, years old. I hate to even contemplate so, that. Yeah, that can... We're going to end the segment with that? <laughs> Do you have no sense of show business whatsoever? Are you new to this? Armstrong and Getty.